0: All right, everyone, welcome to Strictly Sports. I am Jacob Brown, joined here with C.J. Uh, So we tried to do a podcast last week, but sadly, my microphone is terrible. I'm getting a new one. I get it. I'm getting a new one. Uh, but we could not upload last week uh, where we talked about Tom Brady. We talked about the NFC-AFC championship games. We'll lightly touch those subjects today, but mainly we're going to go over Super Bowl 56, NFL coaching updates, the outlook of the NHL post-All-Star game, and then a little bit about the baseball lockout situation, which nobody really wants to hear about. So I'm saving it till the end. And then in the final five minutes of the show, we'll give our actual picks for the Super Bowl. So we're just going to talk about it in the first part of the show, give our picks at the very end. Uh, so let's start with this Super Bowl 56, Rams Bengals from SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. The Rams are actually considered the road team. Similarly, to how the bucks were the road team in their own super bowl stadium last year the rams are favored at minus four and a half the over under is 48 and a half money line is rams minus 200 cincinnati plus 170 and the bengals have covered seven straight games uh, which is pretty unreal uh mbc has this game with al michaels uh this could be his final game at NBC. rumors he might go to amazon prime for thursday night football next year And Chris Collinsworth gets to call his own team in a Super Bowl, which is really cool. And then Michelle Tafoya, longtime sideline reporter, is supposedly retiring after this game, which is a little weird considering some things that she spoke out on uh, a few weeks back. And now she's just all of a sudden retiring. Not going to speculate about that. But CJ, we are here. It is Super Bowl 56. This is going to be a big Super Bowl, man. What do you think?
1: I, I'm at the point where I just don't even know who to root for, in all honesty. I mean, I really, really, really like the story behind Stafford, but I also I kind of want to see Joe Burrow get one, you know what I mean? Um, but no, I'm really excited. I think that this game is going to be very close, um, despite a lot of people talking about the Rams' D-line against the Bengals' O-line. it's just It's the Super Bowl, so that kind of narrative might be a little bit of a wash. The Bengals aren't going to go away in this game. I do think that the Rams come out and punch them in the mouth early because they've played in that stadium a million times. And so far they'll be familiar like with their surroundings. And I don't think the moment, like the, the moment will be huge for both teams, but I think that the moment will be a little less for the Rams knowing that they're playing at home. They got to stay at their houses this whole week. They don't have to be in a hotel, It's a huge advantage for them, in my opinion. So I don't know about a score prediction just yet. Maybe we can give that at the end of our Super Bowl segment, but I'm excited. I think it's a huge game.
0: Yeah, me too. And, and, you know, I'm kind of with you. I don't know who to root for. I'd be happy on either side. I think Joe Burrow doing this in his first real shot in the playoffs, basically his first full season, so you can call him kind of a rookie. I think it's great. I mean, he has been unbelievable carrying on what he did at LSU. He could be the next big thing in the NFL. Uh, But at the same time, Matt Stafford, he's worked his entire career for this, the story with his wife, it would be such a great story if he could win uh, for the both of them. And so that would be uh, amazing if that happens. But I'll ask you this, does the allure of Joe Burrow, this whole aura around him where he's, you know, seemingly this unstoppable force, does that hold more weight than the Rams who have a deeper and more talented roster? I don't think so. Yeah. That, that, and that's like, kind I, of what I, I'm I don't,
1: I, I think that, I think the Rams, I, I think it's just, I think it's just even. Like, I almost find it to be even. You know, like, I, I don't, I don't think that the Rams O line is like crazy, crazy good. Whereas I feel like the the Bengals' DNs and their, their pass rush, pass rush is elite. So it's like, Every for every advantage that you give the Rams, I feel like I give an advantage to the Bengals. Like I give, I think the Bengals' run game is better than the Rams' run game. I think that they're both teams' receivers are kind of on point with each other, and I think the quarterbacks are on point with each other.
0: I mean, like, uh, like for real, I I find this to be a very even game. No, I'm with you, and, and so like when you're picking hairs in this situation, to me, I'm kind of looking at the head coach now, where it's like. You look at Sean McVay against Zach Taylor, if Zach Taylor never had Joe Burrow, he would never have been this type of head coach. His record before he had Joe Burrow was horrendous. Joe Burrow saved this guy's head coaching career, whereas you look at Sean McVay, I feel like if if something's going to give in this game, it might simply be that Sean McVay might expose Zach Taylor a little bit. I
1: kind of disagree a little bit here because Zach Taylor knew he was walking into a rebuild. McVay's record when he walked into the Rams before they had Goff and, you know, the first season of Goff wasn't good. Um, like, I mean, no head coach in this league is going to really do anything unless they have a unless they have a quarterback.
0: Yeah. Make the playoffs
1: true. and whatnot. I will say I give the coaching edge to McVay, but I think that there's a ton of hype surrounded by McVay. Whereas I think Taylor is actually a similar style of coaching, but he's in Cincinnati. He's not in Los Angeles, and he's not as fiery or hype as as McVeigh is. So I would give the edge to McVeigh, especially because he's he's um, coached in a Super Bowl already. Like McVeigh has coached in a Super Bowl, I will give him the edge off that. I won't give him the edge because I feel like Zach Taylor's not capable enough.
0: That's true. Yeah. Maybe I was a little too harsh on that, obviously, but you know, Sean McVay, we'll see what he can do. Uh, But in terms of my overall point for, you know, kind of what I was thinking uh, as for the game, and you can kind of infer who I'll pick for the game based off of this. uh, The Bengals were eight for 14 on third down at Kansas city. They averaged 5.4 yards per play against that defense. The Rams, however, were 11 for 18 on third down versus San Francisco which theoretically San Francisco has the better defense over Kansas city. Uh, And the Rams also have, we talked about it on the show that we didn't release that Stafford could have had other plays that if they had been caught, he would have had more yards personally, the offense would have been more productive. They would have had more points could have been a totally different game. So you have that. My general point is can Burrow replicate what he did against, against Kansas city, which is a worse defense than the Rams And to me, I feel like the Rams can replicate what they did against San Francisco because Cincinnati is not as great of a defense as the Rams are. Do you get what I'm kind of saying? Yeah, no, no, no. I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, You're trying to like, you know, can you replicate
1: that sort of success on a team that's actually better? Um, I, I I don't know. It's a tough question. I found that the Bengals were playing with fire that game. And I think Mahomes just had an absolutely career worst abysmal second half and the Bengals capitalized like props to the Bengals. I mean, like the Bengals offense wasn't out there stopping Joe Burrow. The defense was stopping Joe Burrow. So like, I mean, sorry, Patrick Mahomes. So it's like, and the thing is, is, is when I was watching that game, the Bengals D was, was all over the receivers. Like they, it's not like Mahomes was like missing throws. It it was legitimate defense. So I, to answer your question, I think that Joe Burrow can do it. You like, know, I think that he can replicate what his success, that second half success where he went on a run. I think that at any point in any game, the, this Bengals offense is going to go on a run. And the thing is, is the, I felt like all year when the Bengals were really good, they paired it up with their defense. Like it was never like the defense went missing and the offense was there, or the offense went missing and the defense was there. It was like they're both on point at the same time. So yeah. that was what happened in the second half of that chiefs game. Defense showed out three and outs against the best quarterback in the world. And then offense was just driving. So, you know, like to answer your question, I feel as if like, if the defense, if that Bengals defense can, can give the off, can give the offense back the ball routinely and not get, you know, scored on every drive. I, I think that the offense can find a rhythm. So I do think that Joe Burrow can do it again against a Rams D that is definitely better than the chiefs. Um, But again, I mean, he's, he's going to be playing in a dome. Whereas the weather in Kansas city is, is a little, it's never fun. It was like 30, 35 degrees outside and windy. So I do think that Joe Burrow can do it again, despite the Rams being a better defense. But I do think that against the Rams and especially the Rams are playing at home. I do not believe that the Bengals can afford going down like they did again
0: yeah yeah like i th- that's totally true like if the Bengals have to be in any sort of comeback situation i just don't see it i feel like with mcveigh's success when he leads after halftime you know you, you can't be down too much at halftime or you know you'd like to be up obviously but you can't be down too much uh i agree with you i don't see a big comeback story in this type of game i actually think it'll be kind of back and forth the whole time uh but we'll see um so also, did you hear? By the way, uh, parking tickets in LA right now uh, are five hundred. Some are five hundred dollars just to park at the stadium. I don't know if you've heard that.
1: No, I, I absolutely have heard that. I, we've it's what I do every day. I, we're sending clients to the Super Bowl, and I've bought, you know, X amount of parking passes at my, my job. Like, I, like I work in sports and, and entertainment hospitality. Um, yeah, I've known that these tickets are an
0: insane price for about a couple, couple months now. It's unreal. It really is just unreal to me how you're going to make people pay the price for the ticket plus the parking. It's just unreal. But that's uh, that's the Super Bowl for you. So let's move on to the next segment we have here today. And by the way, again, we're going to get to our actual picks later. Uh, but let's talk about the coaching drama that's going around in the NFL right now. And actually, before I do that, uh, I'll make a small comment about Tom Brady since we didn't release last week. Uh, listen, he retired. He's the GOAT. Uh, We all love Tom Brady for what he did in the NFL, seven Super Bowl rings. He came to Tampa. He won one here. Uh, I live in Tampa when, you know, when I I wasn't at FAU when I come here to visit home and now I'm living here full time. Uh, He has such a tremendous impact on the Tampa community. It revived football here. So for that, just uh, for that sake, I'm grateful to Tom Brady, even as a Giants fan living in Tampa. I think it's great that now, the Tampa community just loves football again. I mean, I, I moved here in 2008 and up until Brady got here, nobody cared. I, I'd go to buck games for less than a hundred bucks. The stadium's not full, the team's 500 or less every year. And this really revived football here. But in terms of a full career impact, obviously everyone's already talked about what Tom Brady has meant to the game of football. He was amazing. And so obviously I just didn't want to not address the Tom Brady retired but there are rumors, and we were talking about it 20 minutes ago in the chat, CJ, uh, that he was uh, that he said never say never in terms of coming back from retirement. Uh, to me, it's just like he should probably just retire. I don't know why he would go through everything he just went through just to come back. I mean, do you think he's just saying that to say that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that Tom Brady's done an incredible, uh, like, I shouldn't say like he – revamped his image but like he he broke out of his shell once he got to tampa oh yeah and i find that he's he does an incredible troll job these days and he could honestly just be trolling i feel like it's kind of dumb for him to not hang it, hang it up after the season he just had i think he led the league in yards and passing touchdowns and he might get the mvp To you know, I feel like the league will give him the MVP. And if you can end your career on an MVP, I don't think he's ever gonna end his career on a Super Bowl. Like I I don't I don't think that there he's gonna go somewhere and there's gonna be a you know, he's gonna win the Super Bowl and then hang it up, right? Yeah. So I feel like this is the year for him to just do it, man. You're probably gonna get the MVP. You could say that I finished my career on an MVP trophy. I went out in style right like but the thing is, is I wouldn't even be surprised if he came back so I think it's a troll job I think that he's going to you know t- take the mvp
0: and retire call it a day we'll see it is interesting I I'm, I'm with you but I will say that in his big long statement on Instagram there isn't actually a sentence that says I am retiring from football he kind of obviously infers and everyone knows that he is retired and he called the bucks and everything, but in his actual statement, he doesn't say I am retiring from the NFL so that it is interesting that, that, that actual wording was not, not used in his statement. So we'll see, but I'm with you. I don't think he's on retiring or anything like that, uh, but we will see. So as far as the head coaching goes in the NFL, there's been a lot of drama, uh, including with Brian Flores, this situation has absolutely blown up, uh, but I'm going to give just a take here. That's not going to be too popular, but, it sides with the truth. Let's just be honest. Uh, this Now that this situation has played out, and I'm honestly glad that we did not release the podcast last week because we didn't have the full details on the situation. Now we do. As we have gone along with this, uh, there's zero evidence of racial discrimination with what Brian Flores is alleging has happened. There is nothing to indicate that the Giants interviewed Flores for the reasons that he's alleging. To assume that Belichick, has information's on teams – that he has no stake in, that he doesn't work for. That's just purely speculative. Obviously, it looks fishy. There's nothing racial about what Bill Belichick did. It has since been reported that Flores was actually the number one option for the Giants when the process started. So how exactly are we claiming that he was only interviewed for what what Flores is alleging that he was interviewed for? Not even to mention that Tiki Barber came out, obviously Giants legend, and he came out and talked about how much the Mara family means to him. So all these people that are going after the Giants now with no evidence all over social media calling the Giants, oh, the Giants are doing this, this was racial, blah, blah, blah. And then you actually look at the Mara family who have never been accused of any of this ever. Now you have former players coming out saying how great the Mara family is. There's no basis to this. There's no history of the Mara family ever acting in this way. They had an African-American GM for 10 plus years. Okay, so th- this, this whole Giants are racist thing, there's no basis in this. W- why would this suddenly just now happen? Um, as far as the Dolphins situation goes, nothing about asking your coach to tank is racist in of itself. It, it, it would be an NFL violation if Stephen Ross did that, but that's a Stephen Ross problem. That's not Brian Flores being trace- treated in a racist manner. As for the Tom Brady thing with, with going on the yacht when Tom Brady was still on contract, that's an NFL violation on Stephen Ross for trying to go and tamper with Tom Brady. That's not a racist thing. As for the John Elway thing, he debunked the situation on his end. Now, you could say, well, I mean, if Flores is debunking, why are you believing him? What I'll say to that is you have to take what Elway said for as much worth as what Flores said, because both of what both sides are saying is simply just hearsay. There are no sources There's nothing to confirm what actually went on in that room other than what Elway said and what Flores said. So we can't conclude anything from that situation. So who exact, to me, I look at this situation and I say, who told Flores that this was a good idea when there's five open head coaching spots? Who told him to do this?
1: So I'm going to refrain from giving my full commentary on the racist portion of the accusations um i i believe that the miami dolphins are absolutely not a racist organization they employed a african-american head coach and african-american gm they still employ an african-american gm um so i find that I I don't know if his a lot of his you know racism remarks were towards the Miami Dolphins. Um but anyway, I will move forward. I believe that Brian Flores got some horrendous legal advice from these people that are representing him. To go on ESPN and basically be the boy who cried wolf is ridiculous. I believe that his actions have ensured that he will not coach in the NFL anytime soon, whether it's a staff or a head coach job. I think that he absolutely would have gotten hired to the Texans if he did not come out with all this. I highly doubt the Texans were looking for Lovey Smith as their next head coach. I think that they wanted to scoop up Flores. I think they wanted to scoop up Flores, especially because Flores has been in conversation with Deshaun Watson for a while. And I am more than positive the Texans would take back Deshaun in a heartbeat. I think the guy got horrible legal advice. I think that all of this is becoming the boy who cried wolf. I, you know, I'm sure that there are portions of what he's saying that are true, but a lot of this stuff is, is he said, she said, and none of this stuff's in writing. Like Stephen Ross might be a total, moron of an owner and but but at the end of the day he's a very smart businessman and you i can tell you right now he did not put anything on paper that he would actually give flores 100k per loss and part of me thinks it's highly unlikely that john elway showed up to an interview drunk on top of that the new york giants are a are a huge global brand in a state that is the one of the most diverse states in the world or one of the most diverse you know communities and cultures in the world is right. new york it's right like new york giants i mean i highly doubt <laughs> they hired dayball like days before they were even going to interview flores I mean, it's just ridiculous like And for the Giants to not take Flores seriously would be kind of dumb. Flores, I believe to his core is a fantastic coach. So I find a lot of this to be, we're just like, he's, he was upset about his firing. He was upset about the reports that came out of after him, out about him after his firing in Miami. And he's now like, Freak, you know like like almost taking it out on the league and i feel like it's really blowing it up blowing up in his face i believe that he would he would be he would have a job right now in the nfl if he didn't do all this and i think he got really bad legal advice as for the racism stuff i i leave that up for everybody's judgment but for the actual technical stuff of this i find a ton of holes in his arguments
0: yeah and i totally agree and you know some people are using the fact that uh, you know, Brian Flores' resume, why wouldn't you take that over Brian Dable in of itself? Like, take away everything else. If you're just comparing Brian Flores to Brian Dable, who would you take? And so that is a legitimate argument. I mean, you could look at what Brian Flores did in Miami and say he was given a raw end of the deal in Miami. Uh, he did not have, what I mean, you know, off, I mean, CJ, you've talked about it. Offensive line was porous. They had no running game. He was, you know, and he still had a, a winning record In two seasons, in the last two seasons, he had a winning record. That's incredibly impressive. That's almost unheard of out of an NFL coach to be able to have a winning record with the problems that his teams had. But if you also look at the logic that the Giants probably used, Brian Dayball, the year before that Brian Dayball got to Buffalo, Josh Allen had a 58.8% completion percentage. The next year, Allen went to a 69.3%. Uh, completion percentage this year dropped to 63.3 but he had more attempts so take that with what you will and also josh allen and daniel jones are both six foot five and of course joe shane the gm of the giants and brian dayball work together in buffalo there's that connection so maybe the giants are thinking if jones can pack on 20 pounds he would literally be the same height and weight as josh allen obviously daniel jones will never ever ever have the arm that Josh Allen has, but maybe the Giants' logic is okay. Six foot five, two thirty. He had the, you know, Brian Dable had that with Josh Allen. Maybe something comes to fruition. It doesn't have to necessarily mean that the Giants just discounted Brian Flores because of what Flores is alleging. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I
1: I'm going to keep this one brief. I completely agree on that end. I find that Flores is a really good coach. I think he, I think his legal team and the advice that he got and his impulse decisions might have just like ruined his immediate career. And I do think that the Brian Dayball hire for the Giants is a fantastic hire. I think for the fact that for the head coaching candidates, they were looking at Flores and Dayball shows that the Giants mean business and sucks that Flores, I guess I wanted to see Flores land on his feet, but. I think he would have landed on a seat if he didn't do all these things. I think that the Giants got a fantastic head coach in day ball. I think that the offense is going to have some juice, and I think that he is definitely a leader. Um, he's lived in – you know, he's lived in New York now. Um, I think he understands how to win football. So good for the Giants, bad
0: for Brian Flores. Agreed, agreed. So let's move on to the non-controversial head coaches now. Uh, so we look at, we'll, we'll go over Kevin O'Connell first. He was the hire for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I put in my notes, he is the former slash current offensive coordinator for the Rams. Cause obviously they have the Super Bowl to play. Um, I like this hire a lot. Uh, Minnesota with the weapons that they have should have an offensive head coach, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin cook. It looks like they're going to keep Kirk cousins for one more year. Let's run it back with a guy that made an offense work in LA with McVay. I really like this hire.
1: Yeah, I I I think that they they just needed to change the pace from Mike Zimmer. I think that Mike Zimmer, you know, overextended his stay in Minnesota. Uh, I think they had a couple of good seasons here and there, but overall it just wasn't good enough. I think that this will be a nice change in philosophy. And I think the big thing in Minnesota is like they've got pieces there, but they need to string it together as a team and especially as a defense. So. Who knows? Maybe this is the guy to do it. But I think I really think that, you know, the Vikings, they kind of have like the pieces to be really good next year. And I think that they just needed some new ideas and new creativity in in that locker room. And I think they're about to get it. So I I would actually say watch out for the Vikings next year.
0: Yeah. and, And I think really, if they had been up to their potential this year, there is no way that the Eagles make the playoffs over the Vikings. I thought the Vikings were the better team all year. They just had really bad L's. And, uh, you know, I think if they had been not, not necessarily coached correctly, quote unquote, but if they had played a more complete game throughout the season, I think they were a better team than the Eagles were. And there's really not that much separation in the NFC. So we will see. So moving on to the Bears head coach, uh, this was a curious choice to me. They hired Matt Eberflus. Uh, he, uh, he was the defensive coordinator of the Colts over the last few years. And, and why it's curious to me is, the number one issue for the bears over the last few years has been moving the ball and they hire a defensive head coach. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. um, I I don't know. I I don't even have a grade for this hire. I don't really know much about this guy. The Colts were up and down. Uh, I do think that the Colts defense is pretty decent this past year, but like, was it good enough for this guy to get a head coaching position at a, at a organization that has extreme offensive issues. I don't know. Uh, like, yeah. I, I don't know, but I, I, my friend, Nick Didiana, who's a, who's from Chicago, massive bears fan said, he actually really liked the hire and he likes the staff that's so far being put together. So who knows, but if I'm Justin Fields, I'm kind of like, come on, man. Like, I, Like I want to pair up with a coach that can maximize everything out of me because we need the offense really bad. I will get run out of town if we don't get the offense going.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Justin, I totally agree with you with Fields. What what Eberflus needs to make sure of is, like Nick DiDiana said, get a good offensive coordinator at least, get that in your system, but uh, we will see if it works. Uh, this is my least favorite hire, Dennis Allen with the Saints. Uh, his head coaching resume is awful. Uh, he's well under five hundred as a head coach in his career. And to me, I feel like this is the Saints making a desperate attempt to kind of continue the Sean Payton philosophy. Obviously, you know, this is a a promotion within the organization. He obviously worked with Sean Payton. So uh, I feel like it's such a grab at let's try and keep this thing going with this mindset that Sean Payton had, but it might just fall in their faces.
1: Yeah, I I agree with your with your statement that they're trying to um, continue the Sean Payton era and philosophy. I think that this that's all this really is. It's just an attempt at doing that. Whether it succeeds or not, we will see. I just think that the cap the 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 cap hell that they're in is insurmountable, and I don't yeah. think the roster is any good. So no matter who they hired, I think it would have been a waste. So I almost feel like they were handcuffed in this position to just hire within.
0: True. Yeah. I mean, they might just be saying we'll keep him until we do build up and get that for a better head coach in a few years. So you never know. Uh, Lovey Smith with the Texans. We kind of talked about that a few minutes ago. Uh, he actually made a quote yesterday. They asked him, when did you become a part of the hiring you know, process? Or when, when do you think you were a candidate? And he said, I don't really know. He said something. I'm not directly quoting him. He said something like, uh, I don't really know when I became a top candidate. We all know when. Uh, I think Lovey Smith is still deserving of a, head, of a head coaching job. He's a 500 head coach for a team that has a lot of issues. Uh, he's an older head coach. He can kind of, you know, I don't think it's a bad hire. If they had hired Josh McCown, which was rumored, uh, former quarterback in the NFL, he had zero head coaching experience. With everything that's going on right now, it's probably a smarter move for Houston to do this, kind of groom McCown within the organization before you eventually promote him. Uh, but Houston's kind of—if they get rid of Watson, which they probably will now—they're uh, going to be a dumpster fire for a, a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is all just like this all just to me feels like meh, like whatever, yeah. like none of this seems like a home run. None of this seems like they're going for it. But then you know who knows? I could be totally wrong. I mean, Levy Smith's coached in a in a Super Bowl, so
0: I don't know. I, I yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, he's not a bad hire. There's no, you know, there's nothing uh, associated with that. Moving on to the Raiders. This might be my favorite hire. Uh, Josh McDaniels is going to Vegas and, and my favorite part about it, honestly, he brought over the director of player personnel, Dave Ziegler with him from new England to be the general manager in Vegas. I love that. Uh, you know, if you're bringing over the director of player personnel from an organization like new England who they find players from anywhere and they bring them up and they turn them into something Uh, that is something that's great to bring over to Vegas. I love the hire with McDaniels. And I feel like with all these years, he's always in the negotiations to go coach somewhere else. He waited for a situation that would work for him. The offensive personnel that he will have in Vegas is enough to make the playoffs. They just did. Um, Derek Carr looks like he's staying for at least one more year. He's under contract. If Waller can stay healthy, they have the running backs. They have Hunter Renfro. If they just beef up that defense a little bit, Vegas could be a real threat with a, with a real smart mind in Josh McDaniels.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I agree with all those points. I do think that Josh McDaniels is actually like the perfect guy for this, for this role. He's had head coaching experience. He went back to New England, learned more and more. Obviously, we know that New England assistants and coordinator – Coordinators, they don't really always work out in the NFL, but I think the McDaniel's is a little bit of an exception. Yeah, um, I and I think that like there was so much uncertainty around the Raiders this year with the Henry Rugg situation, with the with the John Gruden situation. I feel like what they've done here is they've got a guy that's a steady voice and is a very smart play caller, and I think that he's he's going to maximize talent, and I think that he's sidelined enough since his Broncos head coaching gig. To know that this is, you know, this is how I'm going to run my team. So I think it, I think it was a safe, but good hire, and I could see the Raiders getting back to the playoffs immediately.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And a team within their division also made a head coaching hire, and this could actually very highly impact the chances that the Raiders have of making the playoffs. Denver hired Nathaniel Hackett, who was the offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Um, this to me, it's setting up Aaron Rodgers to Denver. Uh, You know, I, I, all the sports pundits on TV I've seen uh, does Aaron Rodgers want to stay in the NFC? I don't think it's really up to him. I mean, you know, they did negotiate before the season that Rodgers would go to a place to where he would want to go. But at the same time, I don't see the Packers trading him within the NFC anywhere. Uh, If they're thinking, Hey, if we trade him to, let's say the bucks to fill their QB need, What if he comes back next year and beats us in the playoffs with Jordan Love? Uh, I don't know if Jordan Love is a playoff caliber quarterback yet, but the Packers might think that. Who knows? Uh, I would think that they would prefer to ship him off to the AFC. They don't have to deal with him ever. He gets his former offensive coordinator. His former QB coach is the offensive coordinator in Denver now. Uh, This is just setting it up poetically for Rodgers to go to Denver to me. Yeah, I
1: I I I don't think that Aaron Rodgers finishes career his career in Green Bay. I I definitely think he leaves. He he's better his his career, his talent, his his stats, they're better than one Super Bowl. And I do think that, you know, this 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 last playoffs, I don't think that he he did any um he did he did I don't think he did enough in this in this playoffs to to get them to to a win. But I also feel like the team around him kind of shit the bet a little bit so i think he's done with that i mean the last year literally last year 2021 it was the coaching the reason why they lost and the bucks went on the year before that's the defense like it's at some point for rogers who has a massive ego he's like i gotta get out of here and just go somewhere new i need one more super bowl before i before i Hanging up, like one Super Bowl in my career. Look at all these stats. Look at this is ridiculous. Uh, so yes, I think that he goes somewhere. And I, I I believe it's Denver, and I do think that it's setting up for the you know a situation where he just goes to Denver. And I think Denver's in win now mode, and I think he wants to play for a guy like LA and have a defense like that. So I can see it.
0: Yeah, and I I, I could even make an infer- inference that Von Miller could very well go back. He's a free agent at the end of the year. They got the value for him in the trade. They might just sign him back if they bring back a guy like Rodgers. If the Rams win the Super Bowl, obviously, Von Miller could say, I'll stay in L.A., try and win again with them. But when he was traded away, he was kind of broken up about it. Um, So I could totally see him also re-signing and beefing that defense up even more. Uh, So let's get to the hire that uh, you want to talk about here. So Mike McDaniel hired by the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he has been credited with being the run guru of the San Francisco offense. He got Jimmy G farther in the playoffs than anyone would have expected twice. Uh, CJ, the floor is yours with this guy.
1: Dude, this was who I was hoping we would get. It was I was always saying it's either McDaniel or Harbaugh for me. I don't want anybody else. No offense to you. I didn't want Dayball. Dayball has actually been in the Miami Dolphins organization before. He's been an offensive coordinator for Miami before. It didn't really work out. Mm -hmm. I found that the team never knew what they were doing. That was 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago. So it's been a while. He's had a ton of time to season. I still think it's a good hire for the Giants, but I just, I didn't want a guy that was already here. Okay. So we go down to Harbaugh McDaniel. Harbaugh's not coming. Now it's now it's between McDaniel and Kellen Moore. I'm like, you can't, I don't want Kellen Moore. I was ecstatic when it was Mike McDaniel. This is a guy who comes from a head coaching tree where he's been with Shanahan, the Shanahan family his whole career. He's been with Sean McVay. He's been with with uh Mike LaFleur. Like, I'm a huge fan of where this guy's come from, and I've seen a ton of his clips on how he teaches players things. And the thing is, is a Mike McDaniel offense is a physical, physical offense that not only can run the ball, but can throw it in tight areas. And and they're not afraid to get physical. And he's a huge, huge fan of building the O-line properly. And we have never had an O-line. And the big thing is, is I believe that he's a huge believer in Tua. Whether anybody is a believer in Tua or not, I don't care. He has never once in his career had a head coach. In in the NFL that believed in him. He went through four offensive coordinators, or technically three, but two. He had two offensive coordinators this year. He was in a really crappy offense. He had a horribly built O-line. And now you have a coach that's coming in and saying, like, I'm gonna write the ship. If you're two, you have to be happy. He's finally gonna play confident. I think that we are finally gonna have an offense that's actually watchable. Flores was here for three years, and the offense was absolutely horrendous for three straight years. So I'm a massive fan of this hire and I believe that this is a guy that could be here for a long time. And oh, yeah, if he can break the the three-year threshold that any, that these coaches have not been able to do and be here for a fourth season, in my mind, that's already success. So I'm a huge Mike McDaniel fan. I believe the dolphins are poised to do some big things. And what I love about this is Mike McDaniel knows like Mike McDaniel might be a huge Tua fan, but the big thing is is he knows that he can come here and make this roster what he wants. They have the number one cap space in free agency this this summer. He's gonna go and build a team that he wants. And I feel like the team that Mike McDaniel wants is a winner. So I'm a huge fan. The X's and O's will be great. And now we can properly evaluate Tua whereas there was a ton of question marks as to talk about his performance. because One week, he'd have 300 yards and three touchdowns. and The next week, he'd have 110 yards and two interceptions. But you would watch the offense. And even in wins, it was horrible. But now you can actually evaluate, is this guy our guy or not? Because Mike McDaniel is going to make him take shots down the field. He's going to make him be a quarterback that lines up in shotgun and has to gunsling it at times in games. I love that. So now we're going to know. And the best part is, is I'm sure the front office said, we want you to believe in Tua and we want Tua to have a fantastic year. But hey, look, if you instill your offense and we all, we all see that the offense has opened up and he can't throw and this isn't good, then we then we scratch it. He had his three years here and we, we move on and you find the quarterback that you want next summer. I'm a huge oh, fan. Yeah. I think this is a win-win for everybody. Fresh ideas and the Dolphins haven't had a head coach like this that was actually fun in the media in a long time.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on all those points. And to me, if he could make Jimmy G work and get him as far in the playoffs as he did, what's the real difference between Tua and Jimmy G? Just based on eye test, they both are kind of the same style quarterback. They like to dimp and dunk more than they like to kind of throw it downfield. Uh, they they kind of work better within a system offense, uh, and I think that's what Mike McDaniel would bring to uh, uh, to a tag of Viola. That he would have that structure, that protection, that time he can get those dimp and dunk passes, and that would kind of be the center of their offense. And and so basically, what I'm trying to say is he can kind of make the offense revolve around Tua in the sense that they're not going to do anything that they think Tua will not be good at. Uh, that's kind of what I'm saying.
1: No, I I totally agree. I think they're absolutely going to play to his um to his advantages and his strengths. And they're going to make him uncomfortable, which is always really good. I I felt that the Flores led Miami Dolphins in that offense basically was like, I don't think you're any good. I don't really like you. So I'm going to make you run a really boring offense because I don't think that we can win with you. Whereas Mike McDaniel is going to say, we can win because of you and let's go win because of you. And if you show me that we can't, then we can't. Simple, which I love. And the key comes in with an already intact defense that's really good and a ton of money to spend. I'm a huge fan. I, I think that this just, this just works out.
0: Yeah, me too. And uh, he looks like you a little bit too, CJ. I mean, that might influence your opinion there. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he's a stud. He's, he's a stud. I'm a huge fan. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's move on to our next segment. Now uh, we got the post all-star game NHL outlook uh, for us right here. Uh, and, and honestly, I was just going over this this morning. I read an article from NBC sports, about the NHL trade deadline, top 20 players uh, for team targeted deals. Uh, And when I was looking around at who's available uh, other than like five guys, and you you could even argue about these five guys, there's really not much out there for, for trade value. I mean, I, Jacob Chikrin, Tomas hurdle, JT Miller, uh, Charo from Montreal, John Klingberg and Riley Smith. Those are good players. None of these guys are superstars. Um, And so, I think for me, the question that I want to ask you is about this NHL trade deadline. Will most teams stay put because of the lack of overall superstar talent that's out there on the trade market? Or will the teams that want to buy kind of have like a straight shot at getting the player they want? Because for example, you look at a Jacob Chikrin, a lot of teams are probably like, we're fine with the team we have. We don't want to give up assets for a guy like Chikrin. But you look at the Florida Panthers, the New York Rangers. They're kind of two teams right now. They have the assets and they have the win now mode and they're able to say, okay, we can give up assets. But a lot of teams in the NHL right now, they don't have that prospect pool and they don't have the NHL talent. They're willing to give up to get a guy like Chikrin. So I almost feel like the teams that want to buy will have a straight shot at the players that they want. Yeah. I
1: think you make a really good point that like deals for these types of guys shouldn't be incredibly complicated. And like out of all the guys that you just that you just named, I'd say Klingberg to me, especially as a Panthers fan, intrigues me the most. But he, he's already basically forced his way out of Dallas. I mean, he's had huge problems with the ownership. He said he doesn't even want to play there, which makes any deal for him even easier because they just want to get him off the books and get him out of there. Yep. So I, I agree. Look, I, I think any teams that want to make a run at these guys, it's not gonna be like they're gonna to have to give up heaven and earth or or these are gonna be incredibly complicated deals. Like the like the Eichel saga or, or the Taylor hall saga. Like it's just, it's, it's not going to be like any of these. I, I, I actually think you make a really good point. I think that these are all deals that, that are gonna be like, Ooh, okay. You know, these, that's a solid player going there. They didn't have to give up much. I think you're going to see a ton of those and I, I don't think any of these are going to be like, Whoa, wow. Yeah. But I do think that you're going to see some teams that are going to go for it. And I think closer to the deadline, I think you're going to see some teams that like the Panthers and you know, like the Vegas Golden Knights and the Rangers and those types of teams and maybe even the Hurricanes that are like we we feel like we have a shot at making it far in the postseason. I'm not gonna let this go to waste. And I'm going to let's 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 you know, let's make a run at some of these guys. So yeah, I agree. I think that you're gonna see teams not have super difficulty getting some of these guys.
0: Yeah, and even like, you know, with a guy like Riley Smith. Eichel's coming back off LTIR. They have to clear cap space. Riley Smith is five million dollars. He could be dealt in the next three days because they have to do it right now. Uh, so that that's another example there. And and you know there's a Jake DeBrusque out there, uh, but how appealing is he? I mean, he has barely played this year. He hasn't wanted to play in Boston all year. How much do you actually have to give up for him? And if you do get him, hey, you get a six foot two uh, winger. You know, he doesn't score a lot, but he's physical. He provides grit and everything like that. And, and because of the situation that he's created for himself in Boston, you don't have to give up a lot for him. So I think we're both in agreement with that. And I think the main draw for the deadline will be who has the better prospects. And that's why I pointed out our two teams. I mean, the Rangers could give up a few prospects and still have a few left over. And same thing with the Panthers. They could put out six forward lines right now, if they wanted to give up three prospects and they're like, our NHL team is stacked. We still have prospects on the way. Who cares? Yep, I agree. Who cares? Yeah, no, really. And uh, so, I mean, I'll do a quick standings update just to uh, to update people on what's going on uh, in, the, uh, in the conferences. So right now in the Eastern Conference, I'm just waiting for this to load, Florida Panthers, number one seed, 47 games, 69 points. Tampa Bay, 46 games, 66 points. Then you go Carolina, New York Rangers, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Washington, and Boston. And those are going to be the eight, period. Uh, And so we will see how that works. And then in the West, uh, it is Colorado with an eight-point lead over Nashville for the two seed. Then Minnesota, Vegas, St. Louis. And this is where you get, I mean, you basically have 500 teams, six, seven, and eight, uh, with LA, Anaheim, and Calgary. Uh, And then Edmonton and Dallas are on the outside by just a little bit. Maybe that Evander Kane uh, acquisition for Edmonton helps them. And they're definitely, I would hope at least going for a goaltender after every year we look at their team and we're like, you need to get better at goalie. And they never do. Um, so we will see what goes on in the West uh, with the NHL. So uh, anything else you got uh, for the NHL that you'd like to say? Um, Not in particular. Uh, I do...
1: I do think after doing some listening to some other podcasts, specifically Spitting Chicklets, um, a little bit of Missing Curfew here and there, um, I I do believe that if the Oilers can't figure it out this year and make it to the postseason and you know maybe win around or something like that, at some point you got to start thinking like. McDavid or Drysaddle are just going to go. I'm going to test free agency, or I want out. Like I'm literally wasting my career. Like I know that on any other roster in this league, other than maybe the Coyotes <laughs> and the Buffalo Sabers, I can yeah. win. Like uh, I can win. So I, I definitely keep an eye on that. The other thing that I definitely keep an eye on is the race in the the, the what I think it's the what's it called the the Metropolitan? Is that yes. what the the Rangers are in? Yes. I think that the, the, the race for the division winner, in the Metro will be very, very, very fun to watch. So I definitely think that if you are a hockey fan, you should pay close attention to that. And look, guys, we're at the point of the year where football is about to be over, Um, you know, dedicate your time to hockey. I think the NBA product this year is horrendous. Um, And you know, this is the time of year where I find it to be really fun, you know, get off work, make some food and then sit down and just watch NHL on the Flyer, or NHL network. It's good times. Um, so I'm in that mode. So I'm, I'm, I'm geared up for the second half of the season. I'm excited. And um, you know, it's easier for, for you and I to talk about it now that the Rangers and the Panthers look like they're, you know, firmly in a playoff spot.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. It's going to be a big uh, race to the finish trade deadline, March 21st though, uh, which is very late. Uh, you know, the sea the season's ending later than it normally would. But still, I think March 21st is a very late date uh, for a trade deadline. It's usually the beginning of March. Um, so I, again, though, I, I do think some deals are going to have to happen well before that, like a Riley Smith. So there will be some stuff going on with that. And we will update you on the pod when those things do happen. Uh, and then little hockey news here, too. Uh, article came out last night uh, that he may be retiring after he came back. His first start was really good. After that, he kind of got progressively worse. He started having some physical problems. He didn't feel as good as he thought he would. And now sometime this week, it is being speculated that he will retire. He will retire as the all-time winningest goalie in Boston Bruins history. I think it's 307 career wins. Absolutely unreal career. He has the cup as a backup with Tim Thomas. Remember Tim Thomas, 2011 cup run with the uh, Bruins? Uh, He was the backup on that run, so he has a cup. And with Henrik uh, Lundqvist just getting his jersey retirement uh, in the rafters at MSG, which was a beautiful ceremony, I think we're going to be seeing the same thing with Tukarask in the near future.
1: Yeah, he's definitely a Bruins legend, um, and you know, prop you know, hats off to him for a good career. I'm sure he would have wanted to get you know another ring. Uh, you know, this Bruins teams have been so good, and he's been a huge part of it. So uh, good for him, and uh, you know, the Bruins are are navigating. Like we said, like we said a year ago, you know, these these teams, the Penguins and the Bruins is, you know, that have been good for so long with the same stars for so long, you know, starting to get older. You're starting to see it. Um, so, you know, it it'll be interesting to see, you know, the Bruins navigate at the goalie position and, you know, see what they're going to do in the future. But Rask was awesome. Great career. Had a ton of controversy, but he was never shy of the media. So you got to love him.
0: Oh yeah. No, all time. Great. And, uh, wishing the best in retirement. So we're going to get to the part of the pod that I've been dreading and we're not posting this on YouTube, but I have my forest city owls hat on because it looks like they're going to be the only team playing baseball in the month of May. Uh, I'm going to be their broadcaster in May. I have already decided if major league baseball isn't playing, that's my marketing stride. I'm going to say here in forest city, we actually are dedicated to playing baseball because the lockout situation is absolutely horrendous in major league baseball right now. And I know what you're going to say in response to me, CJ, you hate baseball now. And I think you say that because in the past baseball was better and what it has turned into is an almost unwatchable product. And I'm going to go into that here right now. So uh, just to start and give context for this whole lockout situation a few weeks ago, the two sides met the MLB players association and the owners with Rob Manfred. They met two days in a row and all the reporters were making this out to be great progress, right? Oh, they're sitting in the room. They're talking. They came to some sort of an agreement over free agency to where initially you had baseball free agent. They said, we want players to be, to, to not have the six years of service time. When they come up to the big leagues, these teams manipulate the time. So for example, Uh, The Chris Bryant situation years ago, the Cubs waited until the third week of April to call up Chris Bryant because that gave them an extra year of control over his contract. Obviously, players hate that. And it's not just the players. And this is what the owners try to twist this into. This is a fan issue too, because this is owners knowingly withholding the best product that their team could put out there because of service time issues. So this is an issue that they had to fix. But seemingly, they've now come to an agreement that the six years are going to stay, but the new exception is that you're going to become a free agent automatically at a certain age. So the number that's been thrown out there is 28, which means uh, you really, if you're going to call up a player at 23, there's no point because you're not going to get that full six years of service. Thus, it's forcing teams to call up their prospects when they should be called up better for baseball. Younger players, younger prospects are in. It's more exciting. It's better. You saw with Wander Franco, 20 years old with the Rays. He was unbelievable. More of that needs to start happening, and a rule like that would change it. But that's such little progress because really what all this about is financial, and this is what has to get figured out. They have to figure out anti-tanking. Uh, how are you going to make that work? We've heard draft, uh, men, uh, draft suggestions that the teams that are first out of the playoffs get the first-round draft pick which would totally eliminate uh, tanking, I would love that. Will they do that? We don't know. Um, But back to the situation at hand, essentially what's going on right now is both sides are trying to use the potential games that are going to be lost this year as a bargaining chip. So the players are saying you screwed us over in the COVID 2020 year with the negotiations there. And they're saying, we're going to be adamant about our stance because of how you guys treated us in 2020, and so the players are saying, "Hey, if we force on them that we're going to lose games, the owners are going to have to come back to the table because they don't want to lose money." Well, the owners are on the other side saying, "We we want to hold games back because we think that the players want to play games," and so both sides are using games as a bargaining chip against the other side. It's stupid. I mean, both, both sides are using this as a weird chip. So, so it's just nonsensical to use that as a chip when both sides are using it at the same time. So to me, my main point is this. If baseball comes back with anti-tanking rules, expanded playoffs, universal DH, regulated shifts, a legal substance for pitchers, a pitch clock, robot umps, and eliminating the extra innings rule, the game would be better off. It would be a better sport, but who cares? I feel like they're going to lose all of their viewership and CJ you're on that side. So what do you think about everything that I've just said? I am,
1: <clears throat> I am so anti MLB and just what's been going on the past couple of years. I feel like at the end of the day, something like this was going to happen <clears throat> I think that they pay these players so much money and there's so many issues with the game right now. Like there's of people that say, Oh, you know, I want the game to be shorter. I feel like the hype around baseball is dying out. I feel like you got the same type of teams winning all the time or have all the money. I feel like there's just so many issues in the game and I feel like it all is culminating into this moment. Yep. Whereas you know, a lot of this is players versus owners or whatever, but like, I feel like it's, it's, it's more than just that. I feel like it's, it's like to the core of the game itself. It needed this It almost like needed this, like as a spotlight, like we got to get our shit together. I don't, I don't know too much about the situation to, to fully comment, but I just feel as if baseball is going to, they're never going to die out. But like, I feel like this moment is like, are you going to, sink or swim with this moment like are you going to figure it out and not only are you guys going to make an agreement but also you know kind of repair the game a little bit or are you going to screw
0: this up further and i feel like they're starting to just screw it up further and they are because if they lose games and let's say opening day is this july 4th celebration thing uh you know because the the situation right now is that if they don't come to an agreement by march 1st the season's being delayed no doubt it will be delayed if they do not come to an agreement by March 1st, and it's not going to happen. Everyone knows it's not going to happen. Now they are meeting in Orlando. Uh, I believe the owners are meeting in person with each other in Orlando. The players are meeting in a separate location within Florida this week, and Manfred is speaking to the media on Thursday. Who knows what that means? We can't report on what they're going to do on Thursday. So there could be progress. I don't think there will be, but we will see. But what you're saying is kind of what I'm saying that, If they actually could do this in time and repair all of these issues that fans have, they would come back as a better sport. But if they do it too late, it might be a massive issue because the whole tanking thing that could actually be fixed, because if you implement that draft idea or if you change the luxury tax rule to where if teams go over their budget, they're required to give bad teams money and then those bad teams are not spending that money. On actual player personnel, Um, if that gets changed, you could just eliminate tanking altogether. And so, you know, I was listening to Trevor Plouffe on Talking Baseball talk about this. He said you have seven teams every single year that you know they're going to lose 100 games. You know that they're trying to lose. They give this whole story about oh, we're we're in the middle of our special five year rebuild. It's only worked a few times. The Royals, the Astros, you can count on one hand where that five year rebuild has actually worked and so if you change it to where a you have to call up your prospects at a certain age so that you have their full service time that means the best product is being put on the field that's better for the players that's better for the fans and that's better for the owners because they'll make more money off the players if they're called up earlier so i hope that changes and i think the pitch clock is actually the most important thing out of all of this because if you can make games even 15 to 20 minutes shorter, they'll be the exact amount of time as an NHL game. NHL games, it starts at 7.07, pucked you know, the game's over with OT even at 9.45. If baseball can go 7 to 9.45, that's a perfect time slot and the pitch clock could could fix that. And so again, the game would be better off if they fix all these things, but the problem is do it fast or nobody will care. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's all I want to talk about because I'll just keep getting pissed off. But uh, so let's get to the actual Super Bowl picks now. Uh, and we've had some time to think about this. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, I have the Rams winning. You could probably infer that from what I was talking about earlier. Could Burrow replicate what he did against Kansas City's defense against LA's? Who's better? You got Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller. We talked about it every week. Uh, it would, again, I've said this repeatedly, if the Rams don't win a Super Bowl after they've done all of this to get here, that's a bad look on the, on the Rams organization. You have it in your stadium. Just do it now. Uh, I think there's more pressure on them. Uh, Burrow has an entire career to do this. And I think Burrow will have a better chance to do this after this year because they're going to structure an even better roster around him moving forward. Um, so I do think the Rams will win this game. I think that it will be closer than what the line says. I think it'll be a 30 to 27 final for the Rams right at the end of regulation. That is my prediction for the Super Bowl.
1: Hmm. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the Rams and I'm going to say 27 to 24. I think that it is a takes a last second drive for the uh, or like a, you know, one minute drill, 45 second drive for the Rams
0: to come down the field and win it. We'll see, man. I hope we're right because my Super Bowl recipe is not too hot. So uh, I got to get some of these right soon. Uh, So hopefully that'll be fun. Halftime show is going to be dope on Sunday, Uh, 630, excuse me, kickoff on Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun for the Super Bowl. And of course, uh, after the game, we're going to come back with a pod next week talking about how all of it went down. Uh, So this was a great pod, CJ, a lot of news going on in the NFL, NHL, a lot of stuff going on. So it's a fun week for sports and also ufc uh is going to be awesome this saturday uh so great back-to-back weekend of ufc saturday night sunday night super bowl gonna be a lot of fun um for that uh, have you been watching ufc at all yeah i, I watch it all the time it's 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 great i was actually
1: supposed to be there for the fight this weekend but i have a work trip no way um, oh wow. yeah my buddy's going for his birthday i was supposed to be there uh but i have a work trip going so i'm not gonna be there anymore but yeah, I'm excited for
0: the for the, this weekend. It's just it's a great weekend for sports for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh alrighty guys, uh this will be hopefully the last podcast that we do not put on YouTube. Uh we will back be back there soon. Uh we have actually switched podcast platforms to a service called Podbean. Uh it is a website that I will link in the description below. We will have a website with articles, we will have the potential to do audio live streams that we can do it at the same time on YouTube. So we're looking in to how we're going to configure all that out. But articles will be coming out soon. You can still subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're still on all those services. Podbean kind of just uploads the pod to those services for us. But Podbean gives us that website with the live streaming capability. So when all that stuff rolls out, we will let you guys know. Follow us on Twitter at Strictly Sports P. Facebook and Instagram at Strictly Sports Productions. My name is Jacob Brown. That was C.J. Urie, and we will be back after the Super Bowl. See you guys next week.